trying to remember which psalm I picked this morning. It's either 27 or 43. So we'll have a vote. What do you want? Psalm um, 47 or 43 or 27? 27. 27? I like 47. I like 43 too. Is he going to see what he does Psalm, Psalm 27. <laughs> Psalm 27. And go ahead and, and uh, read out as soon as the first person that gets there and desires to read. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me, me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet will I be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble, and he will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in its tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, O Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off, forsake me not. O God of my salvation, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, the Lord will take me in. Teach me the way, O Lord, and lead me in a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Amen. So, I love, uh, there's so many things about this psalm I love. Um, you know, I, the reason I was thinking of this psalm this morning, and I thought, why oh, you, I, we read this psalm a lot, right? So, let's look for another psalm. So, I came up with 43. But, really, this, when my heart this morning, this is the psalm I came to. And, the reason why is because we live in a really treacherous world. And so David, of course, was a warrior, and uh, as a warrior, he had real physical enemies sitting there trying to kill him, right? Uh, Saul and his men were trying to kill him. The Philistines were trying to kill him. Um, he had intrigue within his own family. They tried to kill him, Absalom. And so when, when David uh, writes, he's writing from understanding uh, the physical threat against his life. But I think it's much deeper than that. He understands the spiritual threat against his life too. And that's what a lot of us um, wake up and sometimes there's a, a heaviness, a despair about the state of the world and, uh, and the, the future of the world and the corruption within the world, right? And it just becomes... Uh, over, overbearing sometimes it becomes despairing and so 
I read in verse 13, and, and part of this is interpretive judgment of the interpreters uh, for the, uh, the American Standard. It says, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So, David, in the midst of all of the trials in his life, believed that God would be present with him in that trial. That's one way of viewing it. That no matter what happened in the world, he was going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Right? And that that living was not just um, his present physical life when he wrote that, but also his eternal life, because he trusted God for life. We know that because he says, another one of my, my favorite parts of the psalm, is he says, uh, One thing I have asked from the Lord... That I shall see, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. So he's pondering and contemplating that relationship with God, which is eternal. He's asked a lot of things of the Lord. He asks a lot of things of the Lord. It's yep. interesting that this is the one that he will seek. Yes. Yep. This shall I seek. And so when I, when I need encouragement... I go to these kind of psalms, and I get reminded of God and his light in this incredibly dark place. So we are living in a dark world. Um, it's described repeatedly that way, and that's what we're going to see this morning as we take a look at Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to, just so that you know, we're going to read starting in verse 3, and we're going to read through verse 14, so that will be our passage for the day, and of course, if you know me, so I'm going to go through rabbit trails and wind around, that's, where we're, that's what we're ultimately going to end up doing. So I would like to, to start by just kind of a recap, what have we learned so far about Ephesians? What is Ephesians about, and how is it structured? What's Paul's method for um, sharing this important message with us? Sit, walk, and stand. Yep, <laughs> sit, walk, stand. So, and what does that mean to sit, walk, stand? To sit in your identity in Christ mm -hmm. and to walk in a, in a manner worthy of the calling of that identity. <laughs> yep. And then to stand in the day of trial. Yep, mm -hmm. that very thing. So, uh, knowing your position in Christ, so there's a whole exposition about... Um, who Christ is, what he's done for us, what God from before the foundation of the world has done, and what he's done in Christ in order to bring us to him, right? And what's, that? I would say that's the first three chapters of the book, is understanding our identity. In many ways, it's a very high um, theology that he gives us. So he's writing it, and it almost seems a little bit impersonal. You know, some of his letters are very personal. This one seems like, well, it's probably more to a large group of people and a little bit less personal. And he gives a, an incredible, incredible theology as he goes through this. Um, <clears throat> but he's talking about who we are in Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Right? What a blessing. Yeah. We're blessed. That's God's intent is to bless us. That's God's heart is to bless us. 
just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. Right? So that means he desires relationship with us. And we understand that God is holy, God is righteous, so that means that we need to be holy and we need to be righteous. And yet we find ourselves in Romans chapter 7, the do-do chapter, I don't do what I want to do and I do what I don't want to do and I'm standing in a pile of do, what do I do? Right? Well, it says, thanks be to God, right? Because he didn't leave us in that pile of do. Rather, he sent his son to rescue us. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of his glory of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. So we understand that one of the, the key attributes of God is grace, and that um, that grace um, is part of the blessing of God to us. And we understand that um, as we move through that, and I won't go through the whole of um, this because you see that God's purpose is that we would grow up, that we would be with him, and that we wouldn't just be with him as infants, but we would grow up. It's kind of like when we have children, and we have a great deal of joy because kid's born, he's got ten fingers, ten toes, and uh, not alien horns or something like that. And even if he has less than ten fingers and less than ten toes, and does have alien horns, we still love him, right? It's like, wow, this is a cool kid. This is a gift from God. But if that kid just stayed that way, and you had to continually be woken up multiple times... Uh, By horns rotting in your back? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, all of the things that we understand that are laborious about children, it's like, man, won't this kid just grow up? Um, and then, of course, then they grow up and they get really wild. Um, so at some point, you know, we, we, we get weary of saying, won't this kid just grow up? And then by about the time that we're worn out, they finally become someone you like to sit with and have coffee, you know? And so that's what God's desire is. So God's you, is what's that? Do you think that, do you think, would you suggest then that God is, um, would have that type of emotion that as parents we're, we kind of like have to force ourselves to not try to speed things right on by? Well, we know that he's incredibly patient because... And he knows exactly what we need in lessons, right? I also think he likes coffee, so he wants to have coffee. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, when you think about it, one of the most traded commodities in the world, right? So he must like coffee. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think that God is patient in, uh, and careful in what we experience in growing up. But you he, don't think he gets frustrated, like, ah! Oh, absolutely, gets frustrated. In fact, I know that because we were reading through here, and when we get to the ethical part, now, how now shall we live, which starts in um, chapter 4, where Paul talks about being a prisoner of the Lord, imploring us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. Right. So grow up and be according to the design which I've designed you. So... Jack and I were talking before class, and he says, why do you do this, right? And I wasn't sure if that was like, can you take a break? He shared with me that it wasn't that. He says, but you have so much going on, right? Why do you do that? And I was sharing with him, well, sometimes I get weary in doing that. But what I've discovered is that God designed me a certain way. And 
I don't want to kick against the goads, mm -hmm. as Jesus said to Paul, right? So Paul, being designed a certain way, incredibly zealous about his relationship with God. I mean, that's what we know about Paul. He was a zealot. He was going to track down those people that were corrupting the, uh, the true and perfect way. On his own dime. On his own dime, to track them down and call them to account. Right? Say, what is, what is this nonsense you're speaking? Only to find out that it wasn't nonsense at all. Mm -hmm. right? And then he becomes incredibly zealous for the message of the gospel. Right? What that good news is. And so, but he had to go through one of those carefully crafted growing exercises where Jesus said, why do you keep kicking against me? Right? Why are you fighting? So I realized, oh, okay, I'm crafted a certain way, and the way that I'm crafted is one for study that I've always really enjoyed studying. Right? And so when I, when I study um, my Bible, I come across Ezra, chapter 7, and Ezra was a scribe, so he was a teacher. He was one that would study and teach. And this is what it says about Ezra in chapter 7, verse 10. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. Right? So study, practice, and teach. And I realized, well, that's kind of the way I made up. I love studying. I love finding out how, how deep and how wide the love of God is, right? And, and knowing it in a very personal way. And then I want to make sure that I walk worthy of that. I want to behave in a manner that brings glory to God, that it demonstrates the grace which he expended on my behalf, right? So I read in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, for by grace you have been saved. It's like, wow, that God would go to the full limit of all that he created in order to save me from death. That's what that's about. That's grace. And that I understand that there's this component which always puzzles me. Through faith. I need to understand this faith piece. What does that mean? So we've been wrestling through that on Friday night. You were playing hooky on Friday night. So <laughs> he was keeping us He was protecting you. Ah, okay. Good. <laughs> But, you know, we, we, this is an area where we wrestle with this, right? What is our faith? And what, is, what we've been learning in Ephesians about our faith is that um, faith has feet. In other words, if you really believe something, you act according to that belief. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and I'll give you an example. How you vote this coming November will be based on what you believe to be the state of reality, what you believe to be true. Now, it may be that you believe to be true that there's just a total train wreck, and I'm going to vote the least amount of damage. Right? That's one way. Or it could be that you're passionately believing that God has called a particular person to a particular point in history and you want to get behind God's choice, right? So there are a variety of different ways of looking at that. But what happens is, is you go to the voting booth. And by the way, not going to the voting booth is also a choice. And believing something. And believing something. 
Right. Yeah. And and so, but basically, what you do is an expression of what's going on inside in your heart, what you believe to be true. So you can change what you do by changing what you believe. Yes. And what happens is is that um, we've been given a false picture of reality. We've been told by the world that it's one way. Right? But the gospel message gives us a different picture of reality. What does the gospel message tell us? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Right, but it tells us more than just that. It, it, I mean, that's, that's an absolutely true statement. Um, but it tells us, and if I go to 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says in 15.1, he says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, in which you also stand, by which also you are saved. Is that the righteous will live by faith? Um, he, he's going to make that argument in other letters. In this particular point, he's just giving a bunch of indicative statements about the, what the gospel message is. And he gets to this, verse 3, he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance, in other words, this is his primary goal, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. So that's the first statement in the gospel. That sin was something that um, God would die for. Not because he wanted to preserve sin, but because he wanted to defeat sin. Because sin... The wages of sin is death. Is death. That's right. So he took... What that grace is, is that he took our guilt and our sin upon himself. And I know that because it says that repeatedly throughout the New Testament. That's what um, the anointed one of God was called to do. Really hard job. The hardest one in the universe. Only God could do it. He took that upon himself, even though he had no guilt and no sin. He took ours. Christ died for our sin. And that we know that this is true, that this is um, reality, because it says that it was according to the scriptures, and that he was buried. So Paul gives two evidences, right? One is the evidence that would stand up in court, the legal document that is the warrant um, behind the statement. And he also gives a proof that nobody could deny. They buried him. Right? Some people will try and deny it. They'll say, well, he was only mostly dead. <clears throat> There's a big difference. There's a big difference. And the big difference is, is that a Roman guard would have never buried a person that was mostly dead. And the reason when they came around to the cross that they didn't break his legs was because he was dead. They poked him with the spear to be sure. Right? So we have that as the evidence that the gospel message is, is that that which caused causes our death that separates us from the source of life God took that for us he died for our sins but the second half of the gospel is the good news right that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day and that's what we're getting ready to celebrate in Easter here uh, coming up 
And that, um, again, he gives the same kind of evidence. He says this was according to the scripture. So it was foretold Mm -hmm. that God himself would bear our sins, that he would take our stripes. So if we want to think of it in the form of uh, punishment and a penal substitution, that he was the one that took our punishment, or if we want to um, look at it in a, a different way, the bottom line is is that God did this for us. And it's past tense. And it's past tense. And that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, just like it said, and then he appeared to a whole bunch of folk. And Paul, as he's giving the list of folk here, he says it was uh, Cephas first, Peter, then the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now. So if you don't believe me, just go, go ask them. Right? He says, then he appeared to James, which was his brother, then all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. So Paul's given this evidence, which is the gospel, which is the most highest priority in his life, because he knows that that's what that grace of God is, and he embraces it so sincerely. He, he has <clears throat> such faith that he's willing to give his life telling people about that, that good news. That's the reason Paul, we read in chapter 4 of Ephesians, he says, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, right? He's not a prisoner of Rome. He's not a prisoner of the Sanhedrin. He's a prisoner of the Lord. What does that mean? That means that when he came to fully understand the gospel message, it so changed him that um, he could do nothing else than serve Willingly. And and service is different than slavery. Slavery is when you're uh, conscripted to perform some duty that you wouldn't choose on your own. It's like the Count of Monte Cristo when the guy spares his life, he doesn't kill him, and he's like, oh, you saved my life, I will serve you forever. Right. And that's that's what happened to Paul, because he came to understand, and, and so what happened is Christ actually set him free in what Christ did. And he's like, I can't do anything but serve you. That's how strong that uh, conversion experience was. And we call that conversion experience, and we're getting to chapter 5, trust me. Um, so we understand the sit-walk stand. But I'm going to talk a little bit about, we, I know we went over this, and we spent a lot of time talking about the theology of salvation. And we unpacked that when we went through chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Ephesians. But, as I always point out, is that clear? Mm-hmm. Mostly. Okay. Um, so, it always starts with God and it ends with God. Right? That's the way everything is in your life. <clears throat> it starts with God and it ends with God. So, that's... You just might as well get used to that because no matter how hard you want to hold on to something, it isn't yours. So it starts with God's choosing us, which we read about in chapter 1. He chose us from before the foundation of the world. And that this grace both comes before, in other words, before we could choose God, he had to act on our behalf. And 
that action is effective. There are a lot of things that people will tell you in the world, but guaranteed this one accomplishes the purpose for which God intends. His grace will save you. And that then what we understand is we become aware of this. Right? So this goes to my uh, question that Jack uh, gave me was, you know, why do you do this? Well, I do this because this is the way God designed me. <clears throat> In other words, I'm, I'm hearing both inside and outside that I'm made a certain way. And that I understand that that can be a general revelation, which is that which is made known to us through the world. And it can also be uh, a special revelation, very specific, where God speaks to me through his words, through his people, and the Holy Spirit makes that known to me in my heart. So nobody else hears that voice, but I hear that voice. When God calls my name, I hear that voice. I hear it both the way that um, is very encouraging, um, and I also hear it in a way that corrects me. Used to be when I was growing up, and I heard my middle name, I knew I was in trouble. <laughs> David Richard Brown, what did you do? It's like, wasn't me, it was him. <laughs> I'm just making. I was really good at that. <laughs> but uh, so when God calls you, when He speaks to you about how you're made, what you're what you're called to do, um, it's it's known to you, and that that calling is effective. God, you know, there are no mistakes in God's world. And so that's what we know about him. And what then follows is a process of conversion. <clears throat> and conversion involves both repentance and faith. This, what I believe, I act on. Right? So this is the first step in being born and growing up. Is the repentance step and faith, is that like a, that could be like an ongoing thing throughout the next three steps? Um, I would say that what happens is, and some people would reverse the order of regeneration and conversion, um, if, if we understand faith as once we get the revelation, we act upon that. In other words, once I realize what the gospel is, and I want to respond to it, because that's what's going on in my heart, I turn away from that which is untrue in the world, because I understand what is true about the world and what is true about me in the world. Uh -huh. That, <clears throat> that as, as some of the prophets have said, you know, anything that I have to offer is no greater than a filthy rag. And there's actually a much more strong term used yeah. to describe that. So when I understand that's true about me, and I understand what is really true about the world, not the lie, I turn from that. And that would be repentance by faith. Right. Because you wouldn't be turning from it if you didn't believe that it would save you. Correct. In that um, I'm turning from a reality of being dead in sin to the speaker of that reality who is the source of life, who says, guess what? My grace is great enough. It is effectual. Right? But, but I know that like I can't give myself that desire. It's only God in me, right? Like It's only the Holy Spirit. Correct that gives me that desire to repent, to turn. Right, and that's why I say sometimes people would reverse the order here. They put regeneration. So in order to be born, there is an agent of birth. 
right? So we read about that in, for example, Baptism. in John. Baptizing but with water for repentance or for Well, there's, there's the, the outward symbol of that, but we understand in uh, the Gospel of John, it says in verse 12, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So they're believing the declaration. You see, have you met Jesus Christ face to face like I'm meeting Daniel face to face? Now I can have as real a relationship with Christ today as I can have with Daniel. But we are we are secondhand witnesses. We're not firsthand witnesses, right? So even those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, uh, nor of the will of man, right? So the agent of our physical birth is of the flesh. It's of the will of man. How you came about in this world, um, if you believe the, the total message of the world and that God didn't have a, a purpose and a plan for you from before the foundation of the world, you would say, no, this is all the agent of the world. This is how nature works. And that's the limit of my life. But what God is saying, he says, no, um, you can actually become a child of God be a citizen in his kingdom, and that this is of God. So we understand that the agent of new birth is the Holy Spirit, and that the result of that new birth is that you're a new creation. You're a new man. So your affections change. That's what happens. Your affections change, which could then be played out in conversion. That's why I say it could be reversed. Yeah, because your affections change and your behavior changes. Right, and, and, that's, and that's what um, Jesus says to Nicodemus. He says, you know, whether you can actually put your finger on this or not, um, I, I hope you don't mind sitting in the front row. You're <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a true reality. It's a spiritual reality. And um, just as the wind blows and you don't see it, but you see the effect of it, so it is with the Spirit. That it is true, it is real, um, and it is as real as the wind in its effect. So it actually changes how you respond in the world. Because what you believe is worked out in faith, and that's what the world sees. <clears throat> right? They see the effect of your faith in rebirth. Now, when a child is born, it does not, that's not the end, right? That's the beginning. And that there's a whole maturation process that occurs. Yeah? And during that uh, maturation process that occurs, there's uh, the the need for faith and repentance as you go through life is still... Um, you know, that's part of maturing. I mean, you're not yes. going to mature if you only say, oh, I've, you know, confessed my sins and I believe in Jesus. Right. And then from that point on, you never uh, repent or confess of your sin. Then Correct. you're definitely not maturing because that's how God, you know, um, wash, cleans us, washes us. Right. So there is a continual process. So, right. so it is a past event, new birth, new creature. It is a present reality of working that out. So you've heard Paul say, work out your salvation, mm-hmm. right? That's what that means. It doesn't mean that you're 
doing salvation by works, right. but rather it means that God isn't done with you yet. Right? And then there is a future state, and so we would understand sanctification as that maturity process. Right? Um, and justification we talked a little bit about, I think. Maybe that was on Friday night. I can't remember. That kind of right. seems isolated there. Just wouldn't justification be like at the cross? So, so we need to understand, but the, yeah, that's correct. We need to understand how that conversion and regeneration comes about and what the end result of it is, right? So it comes about because of uh, the grace of God, his calling on our life, and the result of it is is that when he took that guilt upon himself, it was no longer on us. So even though I am a sinful man as I stand before you today, when I stand before God, he will see that Christ bore my sin. So that's why sometimes we understand it as, uh, as a, uh, he took the consequence or the punishment of my sin. And so we say penal substitution. He was, um, he was substituted on my behalf such that when I go before the judge, the judge can say, you are not guilty. Not that I have no sin. It's like guilty, guilty, guilty. Oh. Oh, what do we have? Not yeah. guilty. Because when he, when I come before him, he sees his son. Now we know that God is not blind, right? So God sees his son and he sees me. And I, I can't imagine how he shakes his head. But um, what's happening is he's working on me to grow up into the image of his son. That's what it says in chapter 5 of Ephesians, first verse, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Right? That has to do with justification. So, a lot of times we get hung up in the legal word of justification, how it's a courtroom scene, but there are courtroom scenes in the Bible. You know, Job is a famous courtroom scene. Revelation is a great courtroom scene, right? The great judgment we read about. But the whole, the whole purpose of this is that I will mature, that I won't remain an infant, although some choose to, um, but that I'll grow up. And that that's why Paul turns to his ethic in chapter 4. He says, okay, now you know all this stuff. Let's, let's grow up. And by the way, you need to know what it is you need to grow up from. You need to grow up from the world, from the way of the flesh, into a way of the spirit. That's what he's calling us to do. And that ultimately, when Christ appears, who is our salvation, who is our life, we will appear as he is in glory. It says that in Colossians chapter 3, verse 4. So that we will be glorified as Christ was glorified. We will have a spiritual um, and physical body, just as he has a spiritual and physical body. We will have a resurrected body in which is no imperfection, no corruption. That's what it tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So if you were born without a limb, would you just grow a new limb? That's always one of those great pipe and beer questions. So uh, C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien and several uh, great theologians of their day used to sit around at the pub and uh, over a, a long, long brew, 
they would uh, smoke their pipes and ask that kind of question. What happens to my middle digit on my left hand in my glorified body? I don't know. You can make straight uh, what the Lord has made crooked. Um, the Lord can. Right. So, it is, there is nothing impossible for God. It, to the point where Jesus' resurrection was so um, so powerful that people did not recognize him except as he expressed himself. In other words, when he appeared to the guys in the road to Emmaus, they were talking about what had just happened. They knew what had happened to Jesus. They saw it, right? And it's like, didn't you, don't you know what just happened in Jerusalem? Right? And then he told them from the scriptures exactly why that was supposed to happen, right? He gave the message of the gospel, the good news. And they were so captured by that that they said, hey, will you stay with us? Have a meal? And he said, sure. And so he goes and he breaks bread. And in breaking bread, they realized who he was. There may be a couple of reasons for that. A hole in his hands, maybe? Right. They may have actually seen the scar of our sin. So when we see Jesus and we read about him revealed in his glory in Revelation, right? And that, um, you know, I think of veggie tales every time. <laughs> and it's like, he's shiny. <laughs> anyway, um, that's Rackshack and Benny, if you want to know. Yeah. There was a shiny guy in the oven with Shadrach, Meshach, and Benny. And we understand that. But nonetheless, we will be able to, as Thomas did, put our hand in his side put our hand in his wounds. Those wounds were for us. So we will see that. right? So there's something about this spiritual body that we can't fully comprehend, but nonetheless it's, it's reality, it's true. And he demonstrated that it was true. Mm. So it's not just like, well this is what you get and it's a promise, but you can't open it until Christmas Day. That's not it. He made it plain by being present with more than 500 it said at one time as well as a whole bunch of other folk there was a whole lot of eyewitness evidence that this is true and real and that that's the promise to us right, so when I read that I understand why Paul's a prisoner and I understand what Christ did for me where it says in chapter 4 verse 8 it says when he ascended on high he led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men right and we, un, you know, we unpacked that when we went through chapter 4. But now, as I go through the uh, last week, we went through verse 17 um, through the end of chapter 4. And we really focused on 25 through 32. That's all about old man, new man. This is a corrupt world. This is the incorruptible Christ. And it's contrast. Compare and contrast. All the way through. Right? <clears throat> and I'm just going to read it because... I'm also going to get to chapter 5 where we read through that. And hopefully all this story element, which is narrative out of the Bible, is coming together for you. So that you'll actually see what Paul is saying. So, so this, I'm reading in chapter 4 verse 17. <clears throat> so this I say, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer, just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind. So when I look out at the political arena today, man, I see a lot of utility in mind. Being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, 
have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Turn on your TV. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the, with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been, or which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, <clears throat> now the rubber meets the road, therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace <clears throat> to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. <clears throat> so you see that comparison, contrast, all the way through. <clears throat> Talking about a way of the world, and he doesn't enumerate every possible corruption in the world. Rather, what he shows is that, sure enough, these are things nobody can argue with. And rather... Let's focus on what Christ did and be like him. Let's be imitators in the way that he was an imitator. Angry, and yet didn't sin. He, he was angry. I, I wanted to ask about that. It's weird, he says, be angry and don't, don't sin. And then a few verses later he says, um, you know, put all bitterness and anger and clamor away, uh, aside from you. Yep. So... Um, so we understand that Christ was angry, right? Jesus got angry. We read about that where he went into the Temple uh, Mount and he saw that what happened in the Temple Mount is people needed to bring their sacrifices as part of the cultic practice that they did for the Jews because they knew they weren't perfect, but they knew that they were God's chosen people and he had made a way for them um, to be cleansed of their sin, even though it was not permanent. He promised a permanent solution, but he hadn't given that. So they needed to get their their uh, their turtle dove, or they needed to get their um, lamb, or whatever they needed to get. And he comes into that area in the Temple Mount, and they were just ripping people off, right? They were giving him blemished sacrifices and charging him horrible amounts of money. And people felt obligated to do that, even though they were getting ripped off. And it made him ticked off. He says, don't you understand what this is all about? It isn't about money. It isn't even about the animal itself. Right? That he understood who was the sacrifice. And it made him angry. He even tipped over the table. He didn't get arrested for it, though. You go through there, it's a scourge of wits. 
Pardon? Did he go through it with a scourge of whips? Yes. <laughs> he was angry. So there's an anger that leads to sin. Pardon? There's an anger that leads to sin. Yes. There's also an anger that does not lead to sin. Right. And we would call that a... That's we need to realize. Right. That that, that was a righteous anger right. on Christ's part. Because um, it was, it was in, unjust. Right? And... What is the king, what is one of his obligations? To bring justice. And so he had a righteous anger that this condition was there. Had no place there. Now that's different, as you say, a kind of anger that's about, well, you um, moved my cheese, and as a result of moving my cheese, I'm going to be really angry, and I'm going to act out and move your cheese. Right? There are a variety of different ways. I don't know if you've ever read that book, Who Moved My Cheese? It's about, it's about change and things like that. But nonetheless, people get really upset when you mess with their what they think is their, their personal space and their personal property. right? Even though anything we have is a gift from God. But nonetheless, we will doubt it. And, and that's what the word malice means. Right? So if you read that, uh, it goes through bitterness, wrath, anger and clamor, and slander. Um, put all that stuff away. And malice, which is um, an intent to harm with full awareness. Right? So we see this all over television these days. Right? They have all these shows about malice. And that that's entertainment. That's the world. The world thinks that that's right. And and what we're seeing here is that, no, 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 that's not right. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. And that's why there's this comparison contrast. There's this way of the world. And by the way, don't be that. Be in the image of Christ. Be an imitator of God. Don't get mad, get even. <laughs> that's, what, that's what they'll say. Don't get mad, get even. Right? It's like... Well, that's pretty scary. Um, I don't know if any of you have ever tried that, but usually it doesn't work. Um, well, so, especially with no one to base what even is uh, with, you know. Well, you're just turning to you're right. just turning to yourself on what is even. You, what do you I make do? yourself the judge? Yeah. So you do all of those things which are sin, right? You make yourself God, and we we like to be little gods, little emperors in our little kingdoms. And uh, some of them are big kingdoms, you know, but nonetheless, they're all kingdoms of the world if, they're, if we're not part of the kingdom of God. And if we're part of the kingdom of God, there's already a king. And so we should be in submission to the king. And that's what, that's what Paul's getting at here, right? That we should walk differently, that we should be distinct as a result of our conversion. That makes us distinct, makes us different. And that we should be different in a way of righteousness and not unrighteousness. A way that we're distinct from the world because the values of the world are not our values. The ways of the world are not our ways. Consecrate them in truth. Yep. So what we read about then is Paul's continuing to give us um, very uh, drill down on the ethical part of what it means to um, to express your faith through your behavior, right? Through the way that you act is according to what you believe. He says, but immorality, I'm reading in chapter 5, verse 3, 
or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as it is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are uh, coarse jesting, not coarse jester, which are not fitting, but rather giving thanks. So when he does his comparison contrast, he's saying, okay, this is the way of the world. And what you can think of the way of the world is it's unthankful. Rather, we should be thankful. That's what that's what marks us off. Right? Why is that guy always saying thank you for everything? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> for this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Uh-oh. Yeah, that's pretty scary. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all the things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake sleeper and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Man, that is hardcore. Yeah. That's, it is. That's it's totally hardcore. Dude, He's taken this ethic to the extreme. That's like a. It's like lukewarm, hot, you know, like if you're lukewarm, awake, like we cannot be. It's radical. That's right. It's not you can't, you can't have one out. foot in the pool of the world and one foot in the, the pool of God, in the kingdom of God. Oh, is that right? Yeah, because you'll be a divided man. What did Jesus say about divided man? Unstable. That's right. Well, um,. I serve the I serve the um, I serve death with one with my flesh, but in my mind I serve God. So we understand that the corruption that is the result of sin is in our body, and that um, the result of that corruption will be the death of the corruptible body to be replaced with an incorruptible body says in 1 Corinthians, right? So we understand that corruption ends up in the grave. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Pardon? Uh, chapter 5, verse 14. Awake. Yeah. Awake. So you're speaking about an internal place, right? Awake. Well, I'm actually, just, that, that verse is just kind of uh, tripping me out a little bit, because I'm just thinking about being like, uh, uh, <laughs> forgive me, like photo, like a photo, um, laser copied, not copied, but, right. you know, like, <laughs> kind of thing, and uh, resurrected by the light, well, God's light. We are resurrected, and, and I saw a pen drop and a... What did you just say back here? So we got to unpack that before you walk out. But, uh, what, what do we know about life and death? 
What do you know about life and death? Happens to all. That's, that's, that's what it says in, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. Death is appointed once for a man to die. Right. And after that comes judgment. I love the Greek word for that. It's crisis. It's crisis. If you phonetically pronounce it, it, it I know that our. What is the crisis? Is the Greek word for what? It's judgment. Judgment. After this comes judgment. I know that that's one of the um, big deceptions or veils that the world has that for everybody is is the veil of death and our inability to see past that the phys- the physical death. Right, but it's not. But what I want to make clear is that we're not just talking about our spiritual body, but that God created us as corporeal beings. He created us uncorrupted. Mm-hmm. That was what his intent was. In expressing his life in his creation, he made us physical beings. So we have, by design, a physical component. And we're not going to be disembodied for eternity. Just living with him as a spirit. Mm-hmm. Nonetheless, we have a spirit mm-hmm. that is joined with him. Right? But we understand from 1 Corinthians 15 that we will have a new body. But it won't be like this corruptible body. Because this corruptible body is put off. It is appointed once for man to die, to get that corruption in the grave. Okay, so that's what I mean by the. Um, awake, O sleeper, and Christ will shine on you like light. You don't, nothing, no, okay, because nothing exists except for that light is shining on it and right. it's electrons bouncing around really fast, right? That's, so, like, Christ is the light. He is the light. We're dead, except for, you know. Him. And, yes. And, and there's this whole um, light darkness um, image given here. Right? So, don't be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Are you light by yourself? No. You're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. So, we understand that if you are illumined by the Spirit, and you are to illumine those that God has put you in by your calling, whom, whom you're amongst, whether it be your family, your job, um, your world, whatever, right? However God puts you forth in his creation, that according to his design, you are to shine. You are to shine his light. Because we don't have the light in ourselves, but we have the light of God in us, right? We are, we are um, in, in his light, what it says, you are now light in the Lord, walks children of light. Light in the Lord. And that the result of that, the, the result of conversion is that you bear fruit. Just like if you um, were attached to the darkness, you would have the fruit of darkness, which is nothing, by the way. Nothing grows in the dark. And, and I just got the two minute over warning. <laughs> 30 seconds. So. Um, so that's the imagery that we're given here. So we are to grow up. We are to work out our salvation. <clears throat> Plants grow towards the sun too, don't they? Pardon? Plants, they grow towards the they, light. Like they, they point do. at it. They, they do. They move it around. They, and I say nothing grows in the dark. We know that, that uh, 
Mushrooms do. Mushrooms do, yeah. Right? Don't, don't be mushrooms, right? Don't be peaches. Don't. Don't. I used to play horses. And this contrast between the two natures that goes on within us reminds me so much of that situation. When you have a, a horse that's strong and powerful, but it's got a will and a mind of its own. It wants to do its own thing. Yes. And yet... My goal is to bring its actions in line with my will. Right. And that's exactly what God says the turmoil in my life is doing. He's working in me to bring my actions in line with His will. Right. And that's a lifelong process until we put it off. Until we put it off. Right. And the good news is, so for us as Christians, when we go to a memorial... Uh, or funeral, right? Um, even though there's uh, a sorrow because we have companionship and fellowship in this world, um, that fellowship and companionship is in Christ, right? So nothing is lost. We have a hope, which is one of the distinctives of Christianity. Graduation day. Graduation day. And that is the perfect example. And, and the word that I use and remind myself of all the time is being in accord. So it's where you bring your will underneath the will of God so that he actually is expressing his life in you. That's being an imitator. That's what that means. Right? We don't have it in ourselves. It's within God. But we come under God. We come in the life of God. And as a result of that is fruit. So let's... Uh, Let's go ahead and, and close here, and we'll pick up next week in uh, chapter 5, verse 15. Lord, we thank you for opportunity to come to your word and to, uh, to wrestle with it, because it challenges us in so many ways, Lord, when we realize what it means that you are holy, and you call us to be holy, that's just more than we can uh, say as far as a task, it makes us despair apart from knowing that you're the one that's working in us um, your good pleasure and your will and that uh, you're bringing about um, our maturity through the different um, experiences that we have in this world Lord and we understand that we have a freedom and choice in that but Lord your will will always be done and Lord we ask that your will be done and even that's uh, in Jesus' prayer Lord that your will be done, both here on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, um, we desire that we would not kick against the goats this morning, that we would rather be in accord, that we would come in line um, and grow as, as fast and as far as we can. Lord, give us a passion for that. Um, give us a passion to tell others that there is life in you. And as we come up upon the, the Easter holiday, even though... As Pastor Bob pointed out, Easter is not uh, a Christian word. Nonetheless, it's Resurrection Day, and we want the whole world to hear. Mm -hmm. And uh, give us the courage and the words to speak to those who, who don't know you, that we can invite and sit with them and serve them on that day. Lord, we just thank you for all of this. We ask that you be with Bob this morning as he unpacks uh, your word uh, for us from the Psalms. And Lord, we're so grateful for all that you've done. We thank you. Lord, for your protection, your provision, and your incredible service to us. Help us be servants as imitators of you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all this. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.